Don't miss out on the latest news and events in your community. Visit StarLocalMedia.com today. Sign up for our newsletter and stay informed on all the latest stories affecting your neighborhood. And if you're a local business owner, let us help you reach your target audience with our effective advertising solutions. Visit StarLocalMedia.com and take the first step towards staying connected to your community. Today's episode of the Star Local Media High School Sports Podcast is brought to you by Baylor Scott & White Sports Performance Center, Athletes Made Here. The Sports Performance Center was developed with one goal in mind, to maximize human performance through movement and recovery. Their team of expert performance sports coaches and trainers will guide you to achieve your performance goals. That's the Baylor Scott & White Sports Performance Center, located at the Star in Frisco. This episode is also brought to you by Allen Dental Studio, located off Bethany drive in Allen. Their office was designed with you, the patient, in mind, which means an excellent and enjoyable experience. From cosmetics to implants, you deserve a perfect smile, and Allen Dental Studio can make that happen. Also, don't want to leave out another longtime friend of the podcast, Texan Senior Residential Care Homes. With locations in Carrollton and Dallas, Texan Senior Residential Care Homes offers an affordable, high-quality alternative to senior living. Call now at 469-400-7650. That's Texen, spelled T-E-X-S-E-N, Texen Senior Residential Care Homes. Welcome to another episode of the Star Local Media High School Sports Podcast. My name is Matt Welch, sports editor with Star Local Media, and I'm flying solo for the first half of today's episode. We'll bring on Brian Murphy a little bit later on, but in the meantime, gotta preview the uh, the game of the week for the second round of the high school football playoffs as voted on by y'all. First off, big thanks to everybody who went to our website, starlocalmedia.com, to vote a very, very lively turnout for, uh, for this week's poll. And ultimately, though, our game of the week, we are heading down to Arlington at AT&T Stadium for a Friday night kickoff at 8 p.m. at the site of Allen versus Rockwall. I was kind of hoping this would get game of the week because I'm kind of jazzed up to talk about this one. A, um, a matchup that is certainly on the short list of the most high-profile matchups in the second round stateside. And um, after being front and center for that game last year when these two teams faced off in this exact round out in, uh, out in Garland, I mean, who wouldn't be excited to see the rematch on Friday? Last year was a spectacular game won by Allen 52 to 40 but it was a back-and-forth game it was a one-score contest you know late into the fourth quarter then Allen got a touchdown to pull away uh, for good but this game had you know over 1,100 yards of offense I mean big plays galore it was a uh, definitely uh, the kind of the kind of game that uh, really I think has helped feed into the momentum that this rematch on Friday has um, so let's break her down shall we um we're gonna go four parts with this you know just um, I want to talk about first why this game matters you know what what about this matchup made it so befitting um, you know to be recognized as game of the week and then just get into some kind of some uh, you know some key talking points and storylines surrounding this matchup um, you know some paths to victory for both teams in this one and then lastly my prediction um, so let's start all right so let's start with why this game matters Allen 11 and0 versus Rockwall nine and two um, both of I believe are state ranked Allen for sure is his state ranked Rockwall I believe might 
might be in that 24-25 range. Um, so let's talk about this matchup and why it's so significant. First off, you have two very high-profile teams with explosive offenses and just college-level talent. I mean, both offenses come into this game averaging more than 490 yards per game. They're ranked numbers five and six in the area among 6A teams. I believe Rockwell has the slightest of edges over Allen um, in terms of uh, yards per game, but they're both averaging more than 40 points per game, and you just look at just some of the talent that they have on the offensive side of the ball specifically. You know, it's in this day and age, offense is what sells tickets, and Allen and Rockwell have plenty of star power um, in their respective skill positions, be it Allen with quarterback Raylan Sharp committed to SMU, the Green Twins out wide, Blaine and Bryson, they're going to go play D1 somewhere, and then you have with Rockwall, uh, Braden Locke, their, um, you know, their sophomore quarterback who's one of the top sophomore prospects in the area at the quarterback position. Um, their, uh, their star running back, Zach Henry, who's actually a baseball commit um, for UTA, and then of course, Ohio State commit Jackson Smith and Jigba, arguably the top overall high school football player in the in the state. Um, yeah, absolutely the best receiver that the state has, um, and just a, uh, an absolute showcase um, in, his, uh, in his own right. So again, these are two teams that you saw it last year. They can put up points with the best of them. It's, um, it's and I expect more of the same on Friday. And then you, just, you have the dynamic of what Allen represents versus what Rockwall has, uh, has become. You know, with Allen, you're talking about, you know, we're, uh, we're in the last high school football season of this decade. And when you look back on the 2010s, I don't think it's a stretch at all to say that Allen has been the, uh, the team of the decade. You know, with all due respect to the Highland Parks and whatnot, when you look at what Allen has accomplished over these last 10 years, be it the, uh, you know, the four state championships that were won, including the three straight with Kyler Murray, who's arguably the greatest high school football player in this state's history. You know, you have the 57 game winning streak, the second longest in UIL history. Um, the, you know, Eagle Stadium, both the good and the bad with the stadium getting shut down for that one season. Um, and then, um, I mean, right now, Allen's in the midst of the, uh, the second longest regular season winning streak in Texas high school football history. So they've made as, as worthy a claim to being the team of the, the team of the decade as anyone and I think they have a very very just claim to that uh, to that stature um, you know just uh, I, I, you think since October of 2012 since that winning streak you know with uh, with Kyler began back in the day since then Allen's record is 112 and 3 I mean, so think of that and what this opportunity on Friday means for a team like Rockwall, who's been one of the better teams in the area under head coach Rodney Webb. They've made the playoffs every year since he got hired as their head coach. They had the state quarterfinal run in 2015 before they got knocked out by Lake Travis. And then since then, they've had really good teams that have just been a hair short of being able to make another serious run. You look what happened in 2016, second round against Capel, they lost by four. 2017, second round against Saxe. They lost by seven in overtime, and that was a state-ranked Saxe team, best team that Saxe's ever had. Um, and then last year, of course, with Allen, again in the second round, they lost by 12, but again, they were really close there late in the fourth quarter. Um, so 2019, this is a chance for them to, uh, you know, for Rockwall to potentially get one of these signature wins in program history. Again, when you factor in that only three teams have defeated Allen since October of 2012, and perhaps position themselves as the favorites now to win Region 2. If they can get this done on Friday, it is a massive opportunity that is in front of both these programs. Um, and then you just have... 
you know, whether it's just general fatigue from the masses, you know, with a program like Allen, which you've seen go to the state semifinal seven consecutive years and whatnot, but there is definitely a growing sentiment amongst people out there that Rockwall might be capable of doing this on Friday. And I'm gonna listen, I'm gonna get to my prediction later on, but I just wanna say straight up that for anybody this week who is picking Rockwall to win this game, you're not crazy. That's not a silly pick whatsoever. Last year's game showed you all you need to know about the fearlessness that Rockwall plays with in this matchup, which I think is very important just for a team's ability just to hang with Allen. I mean, they gave Allen all they could handle and then some, and a lot of the dynamics of what made that game so tough for Allen are still in play for Rockwall. So um, as we can get to when we start looking at this matchup specifically, I mean, trust me, Rockwall's gonna give Allen one heck of a game. I don't look at last year as any sort of aberration whatsoever. Um, so yes, I mean, you're, you know, and whether it was the, again, like the, the job that Rockwall did in making that game competitive last season, whether how much that's kind of feeding into the buzz and the build that Rockwall has, the fact that Jackson Smith and Jigba is playing at the absolute peak of its peak of his power it seems um, you know there's a lot of momentum on the rock wall side and again it just might be general fatigue you know when it comes to Allen just because everyone is so used to seeing Allen just lay waste to the entire state and take care of business at the juncture of the postseason but we'll see that's why I mean I'm I'm expecting a very good game on uh, on Friday out in Arlington so all right so let's get to some of the key talking points about this matchup I just mentioned his name and if listen if you're talking rock wall you have to start with how the defense is going to approach Jackson Smith and Jigba. He is, again, the top wide receiver in the state, one of the best in the country. He's committed to Ohio State. And I mean, this is the, the Allen secondary versus Jackson, Jackson Smith and Jigba is such an interesting matchup because this is going to be the first time since really the first half of the regular season where we get to see if Allen, where we get to see Allen confront what was one of the uh, their real big bugaboos way early on. And, you know, if you remember, and we've talked about it on the podcast in the past, that early in the season there were two areas in the Allen aura that were a little bit, um, you know, I guess uh, below par relative to expectations. They had a really tough time in the turn over differential. You know, it took them a while to wind up on the positive end of, uh, of that equation consistently, and they had a really tough time slowing down big play wide receivers. You know, if you think back to the start of the season, over Allen's first five games, they allowed 100-yard receiving performances five times, including twice against McKinney. Um, and that's when you look at, again, what Jackson Smith and Jigba represents in that respect, I mean, he comes into this game with 70 catches, 1,553 yards, and 25 touchdowns. And he only played in, in essentially essentially nine games this season. You know, he was injured in the game against uh, against Longview and whatnot in the first series, so I don't even count that, you know. So he, he missed the following week against Horn. So, I mean, when you factor in, that's the, that's the productivity that he's had in nine games this season, essentially. Um, and you just have to look at last year, what he did against Allen. He caught 14 passes for 267 yards and three touchdowns. That's a great like that's a great night for just an entire passing offense. If you complete 14 passes for 267 yards and three touchdowns, and that's the crazy thing about this kid is that there are some games this season where he has been essentially a one-man receiving core. He has two games with over 300 yards receiving this season. It's crazy. He's averaging 22.2 yards per catch and he's 
it's just there's no real one way to slow him down because he's capable of beating you short, intermediate, deep. The, the breakaway speed is just unmatched right now in the state. His hands and the catch radius are everything that a quarterback could dream of. Um, and yeah, just the fact that he can, they, they get him involved in so many different ways and you got to see, I mean, Allen got a suit full of it on the first play of the game last year when I want to say it was a it was a tunnel screen that Smith and Jigba caught and then took 81 yards to the house for a touchdown like 18 seconds into the ball game. I mean, that is all you need to know about what this kid is capable of. Um, so, I mean, it's on the one hand, like, you know, Allen, you, you'd hope that they at least have an edge over some other team just because you think of things like their defensive backs getting to practice against the Green Twins every day. You know, so that's that at least gives you some sort of a leg up and at least knowing what it's like to go against high level wide receivers. But Smith and Jigba is just a completely different animal for the reasons that I've just mentioned. I mean, the speed, the route running, the hands, how difficult he is to tackle. I mean, he's one of those players where you can play the best defense of your life and then he just, you know, extends, makes some ridiculous one-handed catch and then you're just left looking silly and there's like nothing you can do so part of the uh, you know part of the equation in this is just not letting those moments sink you mentally from a, from an execution standpoint just because he will make plays that will really kind of deflate the the energy and life from a defense so just kind of keeping the uh you know the the energy within your unit intact because I mean Jackson's going to get his like there's no stopping him only one team has figured out any sort of a, a formula to even slow him down and that was um in Rockwall in a surprisingly difficult game for uh, for Rockwall as they uh, they got all they could handle um, later in the season against Tyler Lee a game that Rockwall only won 35 to 32. But Jackson was held to just three catches and 51 yards. So at least there is some sort of a blueprint out there for teams to adhere to if they want to try to find at least some, conjure some way to, uh, to find success against him. But again, just because Tyler Lee had success doesn't mean that every secondary in the state can employ that same approach and have success with it because he is just that special a talent. So again, he... He tormented Allen's defense last year. He actually got hurt in the second half and was unable to finish the game, if I recall. So you got to factor that in, too, is that, like, you know, Rockwell didn't exactly get to go out on its own terms because their best receiver got dinged up in the second half of last year's game. Um, so, yeah, I'm, the, first and foremost is just being fascinated to see fascinated to see how Allen's secondary handles this test. You know, since then, you know, since the, uh, again, since the midpoint of the regular season, they've done well. You know, they were able to slow down another uh, high-octane, big-play passing attack with Prosper. But again, like, Rockwell is just a different animal. It's not even just Jackson. You know, J.J. Williams is still there. He had a huge game against Allen last season they've just got a lot of different guys that can hurt you um so on the whole then all right so how does Allen go about trying to then neutralize the Rockwell offense um you know if you're anticipating Allen having some troubles in the secondary as every team in the state essentially will against this team then you think about okay well then they're going to need to generate a pass rush you know to make you know Braden Locke just uncomfortable in the pocket you know, and that's where that's one area that Allen has been pretty consistent in being able to rely on this season. As we've talked about, that's arguably the most sound unit of their entire team is that deep defensive line with Elijah Fisher, Malik Allen, Lane Lewis, Michael Owen Zurike, uh, Cyrus McDougal. I mean, the list is endless. They rotate seven, eight guys in there, and they're an absolute handful on the defensive line. Um, the problem is, is that Rockwell is really adept at that quick passing game, and they, uh, you know, a lot of that offense can be derived from just getting their athletes in space, guys like. You know, Jackson Smith and Jigba, J.J. Williams, and just letting them cook in space. Um, you know, it's a little comparable, I guess, to maybe to 
a Jesuit in that respect, except with a completely with a much more explosive, you know, brand of a uh, you know brand of pass catchers. Um, so on the one hand, like you look at Braden Locke's numbers this season, and he's only got like you know in high school football the way that you track you know you track sacks is you, you count it as a rush in you know in our in our statistics. So but you look at his rushing attempts on the season, he has nine carries for eleven yards. Now whether those are some of those are quarterback sneaks, the fact that that number is so low on the number of attempts should tell you one one thing. He doesn't get sacked much. He doesn't get sacked hardly at all, for that matter, it sounds like. Um, you know, just, uh, and that's a testament to both the Rockwall offensive line and how quickly Locke gets rid of the ball. And some of that could be by design with, again, kind of the quick passes and whatnot. Because, again, if you remember last year, Rockwell had a lot of success with those screen passes, especially early on um, against Allen. So this is a matchup that's really going to test the Allen, the Allen defense's ability to tackle in space and uh, limit yards after the catch. And I think that's probably like you're going to assume that like they're going to be able to make plays as far as just throwing and catching the ball, but you have to limit the damage there. You cannot let Rockwell rack up yards after the catch because that will be a recipe for disaster for the Allen defense. Um, and also, like you have to be ready for Rockwell to take chances. I mean, if you look at last year's game, I mean, again, they played with a fearlessness that you need against Allen. They were not afraid to go for it on fourth down and. And again, like it's just they're going to test the uh, kind of the resolve of this Allen defense in a way that no other team has. So whereas I think that Allen's best recipe is generating a pass rush, um, it's that's going to be easier said than done. Just again, because no team has been able to consistently, you know, pressure lock throughout the season. So um, again, we'll see what it all means. But obviously, you know, Rockwalls, they have their own, you know, brand of problems on defense, you know, defending the run. And that's the aspect of, uh, of the Allen offense versus the Rockwell defense that I'm most fascinated in is um, is Allen going to be able to run the ball with success because it does look like that um, teams have been able to uh, have a little bit of a have a little bit of success against Rockwall in that capacity so um so you look at just the job that teams have done against them this season so uh, on the year Rockwall's run defense is allowing 234 yards per game um, six times this season they've allowed an opponent to average at least six yards per carry I mean you look at some of the jobs late in the season by teams like Tyler Lee, who I mentioned earlier, the reason they were able to keep that game so close and they were even in position to win that game, you know, in the final few minutes of that contest, they had 337 rushing yards and almost 10 yards per carry. The following week, Mesquite had a great game on the ground, even in defeat. You know, they had 487 rushing yards on nine and a half yards per carry. Um, so they can be hurt there. And that's one thing that has been a kind of the, uh, I'd say, I mean, Allen's, an, Allen's a versatile offense. They said they've got the two Division One wide house with the with the Green Twins, they can definitely throw and catch the ball for sure. Raylan Sharp's, uh, you know, he's a quarterback commit at SMU, um, but they've got a lot of depth in the backfield that I think is going to be pretty vital on uh, on Friday. Um, now it's been a little shorthanded in recent weeks because Selden Manning and Jalen Jenkins have been out. Now Selden Manning is still going to be out, and he's going to be out actually for the duration of the season. He um, he suffered an ACL injury, and that will uh, cost him the remainder of his season, uh, his uh, senior season, which does stink from that respect because he was Allen's leading rusher, and he had a a lot of success against Rockwall last season and it just sucks in general because the kid's a senior and you'd like to see him you know get a you know, get a more ceremonial end to his high school career than a stinking injury um, so yeah you feel for Selden Manning but nevertheless Allen should have plenty of horses in the backfield ready to go between Jordan Johnson 
Sam Hunter, and it sounds like there's a chance they could get Jalen Jenkins back. He's missed the last few games. Head coach Terry Gamble sounded optimistic about them getting him back in the fold, and that is just another weapon in the uh, in the chamber for them. And that's on top of Raylan Sharp, who is a dual threat quarterback that uh, you know offers a completely different dynamic than from what Rockwell had to worry about last season with um, with Grant Tisdale. I mean, Allen has again. I talked about the yards per carry that uh, that Rockwall has given up on the ground. Um, you know, on occasion this season. And then you look at guys like the running backs that I just mentioned. Jordan Johnson, he's averaging 9.8 yards per carry. Raylan Sharp, 8 yards per carry. Sam Hunter, 8.3. Jalen Jenkins, 5.9. I mean, there's a lot of talent there. Allen's offensive line, young as it was early in the season, they've really started to come into their own as the year's gone along. And that's, um, you know, that's a uh, definitely an area that I think Allen's going to need to have success in. If you're going to, uh, you know, again, if the, if the pass rush isn't there, and again, if your secondary is going to have its warts slowing down Jackson Smith and Jigba, plan C is then, okay, well, let's just limit the amount of time that that Rockwell offense is on the field. Um, and that's where I think Allen's run game can really kind of come into play. I mean, you just, you look at how they were able to salt away that game last season um, against Rockwall. You know, as close as that thing was, I want to say it was 45 to 40 late in the game, you know, and then you have, um, you know, Allen put together a 10-play drive where eight of the first nine were, uh, were runs, you know, by Grant Tisdale, Selden Manning, and then, you know, they go over the top to Theo Weiss. He scores a 37-yard touchdown, and that puts the game away. I mean, Allen, Allen had a lot of success on the ground last year. They had 321 rushing yards on over seven yards per carry. Grant Tisdale, their, uh, their quarterback last season, had 20 carries for 150. Allen can run the ball on this team. Teams have been able to all season. And again, if Allen's going to find its way into the win column, it is almost mandatory that that aspect is uh, once again holds to form for them to, on, uh, on Friday. And then um, just the question of how Allen's going to handle their first true adversity of the season. You know, because this is, again, I've, I said it earlier, since October 2012, their record is 112-3. and three. And the majority of those games have been blowouts. So there just haven't been... The, the moments don't come come along all too often when you see this team in a one-score game in the fourth quarter. And those are the moments when, like, you, you kind of... You need to see the, the, the mental resolve that this team has. And it's one of those aspects of those, uh, those state championship teams in the past that, like, you realize what they were capable of when you got to see them gut out tough games in the fourth quarter. Just because when you're a program that doesn't have to go through those moments all too often, it's a complete question mark how you're going to react because let's be real these are still teenage kids they handle adversity different ways um the capel game you think back to week three of the season it's really the only time this season allen has been in a close game late in fact it's the only game they've played this season that has been within single digits in the uh, in the fourth quarter so um yes i think there's going to be moments there in the second half where allen is going to be uh is going to be pressed with some situations that they haven't been in all season long and when you're doing so under the do or die backdrop of a playoff game i mean hey it's anyone's guess how you respond to that so um i don't know i'm anxious to find out if allen is in fact put in those positions on friday and then lastly you know you have the uh you know the unfortunate circumstances that are you know have kind of uh, you know hovered over this game with the events of last weekend and what has happened you know with the uh, within the Allen community a bit of a, a bit of a somber week for Allen after the uh, you know the untimely death of uh, of sophomore wide receiver Markel Ellis 
who was shot and killed at a party in Plano on Saturday. Um, you know, it's it's been a uh, you know talking to head coach Terry Gamble. It was definitely an emotional start to the week for Allen. You know, it's I mean these are high school kids. You know, obviously they handle grief differently. There's no clue how this will affect Allen on Friday. They're going to uh, you know obviously they all of them you know took to social media. They're dedicating the season to Markel. They've um you know they're they they're handling it. Coach Gamble said they're handling it about as well as you can expect because again this is again this is you know these are teenage kids and one of their teammates you know he I mean he was shot and killed. I mean that's you can't process that if you're you know at that age just how tough that can be on a high school kid. Um, you know Allen's going to be uh, doing what they can to honor him and his uh, and his family. They're going to be uh, wearing stickers with M E on the uh, on their helmets. Um, you know it's you know we'll see. Again they've um, you know grief is handled differently. So there's no clue how it will affect Allen. You know it's you know head coach Terry Gamble said he talked with his parents. You know with Markel's parents and you know they uh, they said that they want the football team to uh, to play and practice. You know and honor Markel in that respect because that's what Markel would have wanted. Um, you know this you think back to you know 2017 when Allen won state. You know this is not the first time they've been down this road unfortunately because it was back then when um, another one of their teammates Adam Gary passed away. Um, it was an emotional season for the Eagles there. So um, yeah just a, a tough backdrop to this one. You know um, but yes um, many a uh, many a heavy heart as Allen takes the field on Friday out in Arlington. Um, so let's see. All right. Let's talk about some of the paths to victory to this one. Um, I think Allen needs to win time of possession. You know, I think that's you know one of those uh, you know again one of those under underrated statistics that again you don't really get to tabulate in the high school level. But I think Allen needs to have time of possession on their side because again there's a lot of what Rockwall does that might be able to negate the normal strengths of the Allen defense. So I think their best route to victory is just again limiting the number of snaps, limiting the number of time that Rockwall's offense is on the field. It's something that teams have tried against Allen for years. You know, um, you. Know, to keep Allen's offense on the sidelines, um, but you look at what Allen's been able to do over the years, and one of the most tried and true aspects of their uh, of this machine is that um, as the games get deeper on into the second half, the job that their uh, their offensive line and their running backs do of helping salt salt the game away. Um, I mean, in a sense, you saw that last year in that decisive drive by the Eagles there late in the fourth quarter, where Allen was able to string together ten plays. And, um, and eventually put the game away with a touchdown. Um, so I think, yes, I think that Allen needs to, again, if you get a, again, like a seven to 10 point lead in the second half and kind of let your uh, your O-line and your run game pave the road to the finish line, I think winning time of possession and winning the snap count, something which Allen did not do last year. Rockwell outsnapped them by a ton in last year's matchup. I think those are two things that have to go in Allen's favor on Friday to get the victory. And then if you're Rockwall, you just have to play fearless like you did last year. I mean, I said they went for it on fourth down a ton last Season. They went for it seven times on fourth down in last year's matchup. Now, granted, they did only convert three of those. They never punted, but it, it reminds me of like when Allen would face Arlington Martin in the playoffs, and the way that uh, Bob Wager would have his team just playing absolutely fearless, take all chances, um, you know, a, a take all chances style of football with just the trick plays on special teams and just the the requisite chances that you had to take if you were going to upset a juggernaut like Allen. You saw Rockwell play with a similar confidence last season. And 
And I think they need more of that. You know, I think that it would uh, behoove them to try to lure this game into a lure Allen into a shootout because I think that uh, you know Rockwall is one of the few offenses in the state that is capable of scoring it with Allen point for point. Um, you know, test the secondary a bunch. I mean, defensively, if you get the sense that Allen's trying to slow the game down, I mean, Rockwall's execution on defense on first and second down becomes absolutely paramount. And then you wonder again, like I said, Jackson Smith and Jigba got hurt in the second half last season, so Rockwall perhaps didn't get the appropriate way to end its season on its own terms. So, um, yeah, I mean, listen, if they're if Allen is, uh, you know, got a uh, got a nice lead there in the fourth quarter, and Rockwall is staring defeat in the face, I mean, go out on your shield. You know, I mean, again, he's the uh, the horse that brought you to this dance. Um, you know, Jackson Smith and Jigba deserves a. Uh, if his high school career is going to end, then you better go out on that shield and give him every target that he can get and give him every chance that he can to will you back into this contest. Um, so yeah, all that to be said, um, we could finally get to my prediction. Um, ultimately, though, I am going Allen in this game. Game, and I'm going Allen. I don't think by much, though. I think in the paper, my end up, uh, my final prediction was Allen by seven. Um, so I think this is going to be a close game, very much akin to last season. Would not be shocked if Rockwell got some revenge. I'm saying that straight up. I don't want to sound like I'm hedging my bets or anything. I do pick Allen, though, just because I trust that they will be able to effectively utilize that ground game to keep Rockwell's offense shackled to the sidelines. I've seen it too many times over the years. Just the depth that they have in the backfield, coupled with the success the teams have had moving the ball on the ground against Rockwall. Um, and those are players that aren't going to be, you know, thrown into the fire. Like guys like Sam Hunter, Jalen Jenkins, Jordan Johnson, they've gotten, you know, more, uh, you know, more meaningful reps in recent weeks with Seldon Manning getting hurt. Plus again, Raylan Sharp is a completely different animal from what this team had to worry about with Grant Tisdale, whereas Tisdale was, um, you know, basically a human wrecking ball trying to tackle him in the run game. I mean, Sharp has that just that deadly straight line speed that can just absolutely hemorrhage a defense in a heartbeat. Um, I think Allen's run game is going to be the key to the victory in this one. Um, Rockwell's going to get theirs, though. I foresee this being kind of like a 45-38 style game, but uh, yeah, I have Allen coming out on top in this one and advancing to the third round of the playoffs. We'll see. I don't make this pick with much confidence, though, because, I mean, again, Rockwell is a very very formidable opponent that has a lot of a lot of ways to uh, to kind of exploit this Allen uh, defense in the way that teams in the uh, in the past this season just haven't been able to. So we'll see uh, how much of that holds true though. Um, this one is Friday, eight o'clock, out at AT&T Stadium. The second half of a doubleheader out there. Um, South Lake Carolina DeSoto is the first game. So yeah, if you if you're not doing anything Friday evening. Get out there, man. I mean, again, Alan Rockwell is going to be a thriller, and so should South Lake DeSoto. I mean, why would you want to be anywhere else if you're going to go watch high school football on Friday? Um, all right, and let's see. The the picket line, though, was unanimous as well. Everyone uh, everyone siding with Alan in this one to get the job done against Rockwall. So that is a look at your game of the week, Alan versus Rockwall. We've got several other marquee matchups on the docket. We'll bring in Brian Murphy to discuss those and more after a word from the sponsor. Today's podcast is brought to you by Star Local Media, 14 newspapers and websites with a print distribution of 270,000 homes and monthly page views of 600,000 online. Star Local Media, your community voice for news. And now, let's get back to the podcast. 
And we are back. We have brought Brian Murphy in to join the party as we continue to look at some of the marquee matchups in the second round of the high school football playoffs. We have talked our game of the week, um, Allen versus Rockwall. Still got a few other big games on the on the docket, though, Brian. So let's quick at those, give some predictions for those ones as well, um, including one Friday, 7 o'clock at an Eagle Stadium in Allen. There will still be football in Allen, even though it's not the uh, the Allen Eagles. This one, though, features two pretty, uh, pretty solid teams, a pretty evenly close, evenly uh, contested matchup between Mesquite and Prosper. Um, two teams that have, you know, their roads to this point have kind of been a little similar in the sense that yep. they've beat up on the teams that they're supposed to beat up on in their schedule and they've taken big losses to the better teams in their respective districts. With Mesquite, it was Longview and Rockwall. Oh well, that's fine. Everybody loses to those two. And then with Prosper... And Mesquite Horn, too. And Mesquite Horn, really that's right. I should, I should know that. I saw that. <laughs> yeah, and that was kind of, yeah, very jarring, you know, considering where uh, where Mesquite came from because Horn looked just so superior in that matchup. Mm -hmm. um, but then you have Prosper, which made short work of everybody except for Allen and Jesuit in District 96A, and they took two lopsided beatdowns at the yeah. expense of the uh, the Eagles and the Rangers. So something's got to give. So um, I don't know, Brian, what is um what kind of jumps out about this matchup to you? And I think you even had a score prediction in mind. I mean, this I, I was telling you, you know, this is one of the tough games to pick on the picket line. Mm -hmm. it, it's literally a coin flip. Uh, I'll give my my score in a second, but it's it's really going to come down to which Prosper team is going to show up. Yeah, and you I mean you could say the same thing about Mesquite, but we've seen a Jekyll and Hyde with Prosper. Mm -hmm. You know, we've seen a game where Jackson Berry and T.J. Lane and you know Hayden Metcalf and that that entire offense is just really really flowing. But then when they they play the big dogs. You know, Allen and Jesuit, and uh, obviously Mesquite is a notch below a, a Jesuit, I would mm -hmm. say. Uh, but they're still a really good team. They're eight and three. Yeah. Um, they've taken care of business against teams that they've taken care of. And if you know, if Prosper you know struggles out of the gate like they did against Jesuit, falls behind. I'm not too familiar with Mes with what Mesquite has to offer, but they're obviously uh, you know on the come up. Their first winning season, I looked it up since 2012. Mm -hmm. um, so I mean, this this is a dangerous team, a red hot team, a team fresh off a 50 point, almost a 50. <laughs> point win and to start the playoffs against Shoemaker um, th it's going to be a tough one for, for Prosper and I have this one the final score and I have a weird score alert no. I always like those final score Prosper 29 Mesquite 28 I'm not sure how they get there I, if it's a, an overtime two point conversion or a bunch of field goals or, or what have you but it's, I, I'm expecting you know a, a one possession possibly a one mm. point the game that's how close this is in my eyes and with Mesquite they're going to be as stiff a test for Prosper's run defense as they'll have seen this season you know I mean the weapons for the Skeeters are pretty vast from their quarterback Dylan Hillard McGee who's a Division One prospect, uh, R.J. Bonner, K.B. Frazier, Jadarian Smith. They've got a lot of they've got a lot of different ways to beat you. I mean, they average almost nine yards a carry in that aforementioned win against Shoemaker, and they've been right around you know seven eight yards per carry for those core rushers that they have for the uh, for the season. Ultimately, oh, I uh, I kind of lean Prosper in this one as well. I just like the balance that they have on both sides of the ball just a bit more. Um, their defense has been um, has been really really oh, yeah. stout. It's a shutout against Wiley. To yeah, and then I watched them just completely suffocate Plano's run game. Again, like those those two games against Allen and Jesuit, I think those are just more so. Uh, those kind of speak to those two teams particularly than anything that might be uh, flawed within Prosper's defense. Um, plus, I think there's a little bit more of versatility. Prosper can, uh, I guess, play a, a different styles of games on offense with their ability to spread the ball around with Jackson Berry and their deep receiving core, and then JT Lane, Tyler Bailey, and, the, and that run game. So, uh, yeah, I, I, again, I think it's going to be close, but I, uh, I like the Eagles as 
well to advance. And the winner of this game, they have an easy, somewhat, somewhat easy path. Uh, there's nothing easy in the playoffs, uh, but an easier path than most to possibly go past the third round because you know Cypress Wood and 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 the Woodlands are, are right there. And mm -hmm. you know that, that's the, they face the winner of that game. And this, obviously, we talked earlier this week. The Woodlands isn't the same Woodlands team over the last few years. So the winner of this the game. Could be making a, a, a surprising, sneaky, deep playoff run potentially. Um, and then you have, let's see, one of the uh, one of the marquee games at the Class Five A level in our coverage area: McKinney North and Lancaster. Friday, seven o'clock out at Irving's Joy and Ralph Ellis Stadium. Are you surprised that Kendrick picked McKinney North on the pick line? <laughs> I should also clarify. Yeah, sorry, I didn't even go over what the pick, what the overall picks were for Prosper Mesquite. It was four to one in favor of Prosper. You, me, and then uh, Kendrick and Taylor, who's still picking games for us. Um, we're all going with the Eagles, and then Devin Hassan taking the uh, the Skeeters to advance. Again, when all things are equal, you just kind of go with what you know a bit better. Yeah. And I can see why Devin sided with the Skeeters. It's a very, very close game though but i don't think mckinney north and lancaster is as close oh well, I, I really don't we will see you saw lancaster i man. did i did for sure it's <laughs> it, it is the again it's for the second story week you get a cliched matchup of just explosive offense versus lancaster shutdown defense they did a really good job taming the colony i mean i talked about it a little bit on monday's podcast um that really just outside of a few chunk a couple chunk plays and this one sustained drive that they had late in the first half the colony really never found much of a rhythm at all and just the job that that secondary did just i mean almost completely negating uh you know keith miller you know one of the top receivers in the metroplex holding him to just two receptions for two yards miles price had a big kickoff return but he wasn't his normal explosive self in the running or receiving games um they've just they've got a lot of speed but that's the thing what does it mean though when you're pay when you're you know, you're facing what has been like the most unstoppable offense in the Metroplex among 5A teams at least. No one has figured out a recipe for how to slow down this North team. There's just so many weapons with four different receivers that can attack Wakeland you. Wakeland kind of did. But they <laughs> you still just got to outscore them. Still, yeah, yeah. Gave, still gave them 48 points. Oh but. yeah, that's the, and that's the thing. Like no one's figured out a, a way to consistently slow them down. You could say that John Tyler perhaps did, but that was a bad weather game and the elements maybe, yeah. maybe factored into McKinney North only scoring 36 in that game. Um, but they've just, they're so deep at receiver. It's not just J.J. Henry and Brandon Frazier and uh, Sean Monsoor. They you got Manny Fincher there in the backfield and Dylan Markowitz, who I mean runs that system about as effectively as it can be run. You know, completing almost like what three quarters of his passes. It's a machine. But again, Lancaster's defense has again getting to see them firsthand against a, an offense that you could argue that maybe the system isn't as just uh, you know bulletproof as North has been. But as far as just the top shelf talent that the Colony has. Oh, yeah. You could say that's higher than what the North has, just because. I mean, when you look at Miles Price, Texas Tech, Christian Gonzalez, I guess he did. Uh, he flipped from Purdue to it's Colorado. Colorado, the same as Keith, Keith Miller. Keith Miller, yeah. I yeah. mean, there's there's a ton of skill position talent at the uh, at the Colony that Lancaster really seemed to kind of get a, a pretty firm grasp of. And then with um, you know, with Lancaster, what they have on offense is something that, like, I wish we had been able to see what Seth McGowan could have done against McKinney North yeah. in that regular season finale. He was you know too injured to play in that game but it would have been a nice gauge to see how north handles like a true workhorse running back because lancaster has one of those trey bradford yeah. trey bradford was the star of that game on thursday at least on uh, on offense you know he had almost 250 rushes
rushing yards really helped wear down the colony late to help Lancaster pull away for a, a 44-29 victory. And I just I mean I remember that kind of that defining drive of the game, the one that salted it away for good. And Lancaster is just 14 plays and just run after run after run, just milking seven minutes off that game clock. And like the the, the reason Seth McGowan would have been so uh, useful against uh, North is because I think if there is any way to slow down that offense, it's just to limit their snap count, just keep them off the field, and that's by winning time, time possession, possession yes, yeah. and just grind the clock. And you do that by having a really bruising uh, run game that Poteet, you know, very well could have had if McGowan had played, but we didn't get to see that. So it's kind of an unknown as to whether or not you know a team can replicate that kind of strategy. Um, you know, Lancaster's not a uh, it's not a prolific passing attack or whatever. It's I mean it was effective enough you know to you know to, to keep a uh, you know to be a, you know to move the chains against mm-hmm. the, against the colony when they had to. But the real bread and butter is that run game. It's not just uh, you know it's not just Trey Bradford, but Karan uh, Neblet, uh, their quarterback Glenn Rice Jr. Um, I mean they've there's a lot of ways they can attack you on the ground, and I think that's going to be uh, that's going to be the test for North's defense is if they can you know limit that damage and if they're able to again keep time of possession pretty even. Then this should be a game that North you know at least should put itself in a position to win. I think. Did but you say Glenn Rice Jr.? Glenn Rice Jr. I don't I don't believe he's related to the basketball player. Now I don't know that he's not, but I think he has two ends in his first name. Oh, okay, Glenn. That'd be crazy. It know. would be. Yeah. I'm going to pass him. There's a lot of kids who are <laughs> sons of former athletes in the Metroplex. Yeah. Um, but ultimately, yeah, I I pick Lancaster in this one just because again it is. Oh yeah. I do think that there is that. Um, the defense is going to be able to get enough stops, and then again, the the template there with the offense being able to grind, um, you know, grind down the clock in a way that nobody has against North. And I think it's going to be just enough to squeak this one out. But I don't know if, I mean, I don't think they're going to, uh, you know, effectively shut down McKinney North's offense. I don't think anybody can. No, but it's they'll, just, but they'll keep them in the 30s. I won't be surprised yeah. if if North is is held to maybe even fewer than 30 points, somewhere in the 20s, and they're mm-hmm. kind of punched in the mouth a little bit. Look, Lancaster, they've played Duncanville. They've mm-hmm. played Highland Park, yeah. took them to overtime. All, you could have said, you, you know, they could have almost beaten Highland Park. They held them to 28 points in regulation. This Lancaster defense is really stout. They're really yeah. good. They are state-ranked top 10 for a reason. You know, this is by far, far beyond the best team that McKinney North will and has mm-hmm. faced this year. And I, I, I just, I know Kendrick talked them up all week and even compared them to Highland Park or said they were better than Highland Park and I almost lost my mind on last week's podcast. But I, I just, that defense is, has too many question marks mm-hmm. for Bikini North and, and I don't think they've been punched in the mouth yet. Yeah. And, you know, I wasn't, I don't know exactly what happened in that Wakeland game. They gave up 63 points to a back <laughs> quarterback, yeah. which is weird. And then that, you know, granted, you know, the very first game of the year, they barely beat McKinney and whatever. That was first couple weeks of the season. But, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. Lancaster, on paper, is a much better team. From what I've been told, from what you've told me, from what you've seen, what I've looked at, they're a better, much better team than McKinney North, mm-hmm. given all those guys that they have. I just don't trust North's defense. Yeah. Plain and simple. I just, Especially against an elite team like Lancaster. And that's fair, because like the thing with North's defense, and I brought this up when we were previewing the Poteet matchup, is that you can look at the numbers that North has been allowing you know, over the back half of the regular season and say, like, okay, well, there are tangible signs of improvement. It's gotten, yeah, it's gotten better. But at the same time, if you look at the offenses they were facing, 
facing, it, those offenses weren't exactly of the caliber that they were facing earlier in the season when they were giving up, you know, 600 yards, you yeah. know, on the on the on the regular. So, um, yeah, I think Lancaster just might be a bit, you know, a bit too uh, too tall in order for North. So, yeah, the two of us are picking McKinney North. Devin is, uh, Taylor is, Kendrick those. No, uh, mean oh, yeah, I'm sorry, Lancaster, yeah, Lancaster. Lancaster. Sorry, yeah, yeah, sorry. It's four to one in favor of Lancaster. The four of us are going with Lancaster. Kendrick though is siding with uh, with the Bulldogs to uh, to get it done and move on to the third round. We'll see. I think this will be a great game. You know, I don't think it'll be. A, I'm not forecasting a blowout. Either. Yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'm not saying Lancaster is going to win by 40. Mm. I'm just saying well, I don't. I don't see North putting up 50, 60 points like they have against everyone mm. else and and winning. Yeah. Uh, all right. Then we have at the 4A level. This one is Friday, seven o'clock at Saginaw Chisholm Trail. The game that you're going to be at Salina versus number. Two or number three ranked? Like, keep talking. Let me look it okay. up. <laughs> Versus state ranked Waco La Vega. Um, yeah, Brian is a uh, Salina time strike for La Vega. There's, I don't know about that. <laughs> I mean, it almost struck. Uh, yeah, they're number three. Okay. Um, you know, La Vega. Obviously, you know what they did last year and what they've been able to do this year. Mm-hmm. You know, obviously one of the state's best teams. Their only loss this year is to Argyle. A, on a team that just beat Salina a couple weeks ago yeah. as well, man. But Salina, they are, they have their their, they have their work cut out for them. I, I talked to Coach Elliott this week. He said, you know, they're they're going to have to win the time possession battle. They're going to have to control the clock, that type of stuff. This offense, he compared them to Paris. Not, you know, wing T style, but the way they like to run the ball. They don't really chunk it down deep. They mm-hmm. do a lot of screen passes, dump off passes, run pass options, a bunch of RPOs mm-hmm. with their quarterback, and you kind of don't know who's going to run the ball at times. Um, so it's a little tricky there, but they, he compared them to Paris. Mm-hmm. Solana beat Paris earlier this year 34 to nothing. Dun, dun, dun. I, I've heard yeah. through the grapevine this is a, a team, you know, the Salina is well equipped defensively. To possibly hang with an offense like La Vega. Okay. Am I saying them? Are they going to beat them? No. I'm not saying that. Are they a better team? No. But if this were a no, maybe, one, if this were a ten point game though in the midway through the third quarter, oh, I would not be shocked. Yeah. I mean, heck, Salina kept it close with Argyle. That game was ten to six at halftime or going near halftime, something mm-hmm. like that. You know, they, and then Argyle pulled ahead in the second half, and obviously Argyle's Argyle, but. We'll, we'll see. They're they're gonna they're gonna have to be able to run the ball, and they're just gonna have to stop the run. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's easier said than done, but that's what they're gonna have to do. They're definitely going in as underdogs, which is weird to say about Salina, mm-hmm. but they are huge underdogs in this game. The, you know, the coaching staff at Salina knows it. That the position group to look out for at La Vega is not the quarterback. It's not it's their skill guys, or you know, which they have a lot of talent at those positions. It's their offensive line. Their okay. offensive line averages about two eighty. And the reason it's not, they have three guys over 300 pounds. The reason it's not more than 280 is because their center is about 220, 225, and yeah. it brings down that average. So their their offensive line is huge. They're going to pound the football. And if Salina can get in those big boys and, and, and fight back in the trenches, we'll see. It might, mm-hmm. We might have a, some Salina magic like they almost had last year mm-hmm. in the third round against Argo. Well, we'll see. So what were the comments at this, you know, before the Argyle game last oh, year with the bulletin board material? It was, it's a... Uh, <laughs> It was pretty similar to. I don't want to exact. I don't have the exact quote. Yeah, just paraphrase. Argyle doesn't know how we play in the playoffs. <laughs> there hasn't been any of that from, uh, no, from the Salina camp no, leading up to this one. Okay. No, 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 just no bulletin board material for La Vega. They know, they know their underdogs, mm-hmm. but they're very confident because mm-hmm. if you think about it, last year, so it's kind of overshadowed. You know, Salina's run because of that. 
third round game against Argyle and them almost beating them, you forget that they beat Stephenville in yeah. the second round. That Stephenville team was very good. I believe they were state ranked at the time, and mm-hmm. Salina was you know, limping and struggling into the playoffs. And then they win that first game against Wilmer Hutchins. They were projected to lose that game as well. They win, and then they go surprisingly beat Stephenville. And Elliott actually compared it to that week which is also the, the area around and not the Argyle game mm-hmm. uh, and said that, you know, they were big time underdogs against Stephenville and, you know, they, they, they had that confidence. They had that Salina mood and mentality and they went in there and, and took care of business. And I, I'm picking La Vega to win. We all picked La Vega to win yes. on the, on the, on the picket line. No surprise there, but I will not be surprised if, mm-hmm. uh, if Salina wins a close one. Then you have Frisco versus South Oak Cliff as our last game to discuss. This one is Friday, 7.30 p.m. out at the Ford Center at the Star. So Frisco gets a home game out of this yeah. and a chance to uh, avenge a loss to the uh, team that knocked them out of the playoffs last season. Yeah, they, they played Sock the same building, same round. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was a 48-16 blowout. I was at that game. South Oak Cliff just had I, – I, I remember they had a huge guy on the, in the defensive end. I believe he's graduate. I can't think of his name right now. He was a D1 guy. He was just in the backfield all game long. They had a bunch of studs on offense. Just doing a little bit of research with South of Cliff. Yeah, they're they're really good once again mm-hmm. um, this year, but they're not quite the same team. A lot of the games they were winning in huge blowout fashion last year. They're some closer games. Same same schedules last year. Mm-hmm. Um, so they appear to be not quite as as powerful as they were last year. Um, and Frisco is, I believe, much improved from last year. They have a new yeah. dynamic in, in the passing game. Obviously, I've mentioned Chase Lowry's name a million times. Yeah. promise I don't have a, a man crush or anything on Chase <laughs> Lowry. Uh, but he's a game changer. Car Green's been a game changer. Yeah. You know, they still have that wing T style. And, and Jeff Harbert's doing a terrific job, you know, with that program first-year head coach. I'm, I'm picking Frisco to win. Mm-hmm. I, I do think it's going to be close. I think on my predictions, I had 38-31. Um, but yeah, no, they're not gonna just lay down and, and get totally exposed and, and destroyed like they were last year uh, against South Oak Cliff. Yeah, I'm kind of in that same camp with you. Just this kind of validating that the, the growth that Frisco has made in just one year's yeah. time, and yeah, I think they, I think they get the job done on a. Uh on Friday as well, and it was unanimous. So the entire picket line. I was shocked by that. Yeah, yeah. I was. Shocked. I thought that'd be a, a, a like a three-two. Was it unanimous in favor of Sock last year? I, I'm about have to, to go, go back, back and to check. Archives, yeah. Um, but yes, nevertheless, the entire staff feels like the Raccoons get their revenge on Friday and beat South Oak Cliff. Um, yeah, that is a look at at least some of the marquee matchups that are in our coverage area. Um, I did want to quickly shift gears to talk. So first off, you're going to be on Friday. You're going to be covering Salina and Waco La Vega, despite going to a you know. Crazy lengths to preview that Allen Rockwell game. I'm not going to be at that game. <laughs> We're going to have uh, Tim Glaze. Oh, Tim Glaze. Yeah, Tim Glaze is going to be out of Arlington covering that one. Instead, I will be tasked with uh, covering some state volleyball action because the state volleyball tournament is on Friday out of the Curtis Caldwell Center in Garland. I love it. Just right down the street from our office. Yeah. It's a stone's throw away. So it's versus having to commute down to San Antonio for basketball or Georgetown or Round Rock for some of these other state tournaments. It's nice to have one relatively in our backyard for How, change. Why does the Cola Center get the volleyball every year? Is there, do you know the reason why? Or is it just, that's what I don't, it's a good side. venue for it, though. It I mean, is. It's, yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's a solid venue for that type of setting, and um, it's and relatively I wish, I wish basketball was, was oh, at yeah. the Cola Center. It'd be great. That would I be know. so awesome. I wish they were all, like, within just, like, five minutes of yeah, our office. I don't, I don't like driving... <laughs> 
more than 30 minutes. <laughs> um, but nevertheless, so, so yeah, you have, um, and sure enough, we've got some pretty solid representation there as per usual. Uh, Lovejoy is in the, uh, the 5A semifinals and Plano West is in the 6A semifinals. Mm -hmm. I had a chance to do uh, you know feature stories on both teams leading up to their respective uh, state semifinal matches on Friday. And it's um, it's just, each one has their own you know unique story as far as kind of how they got to this point. For Plano West, it's been one of like, you know, they had the loss last year in the state semifinals to Fort Bend Ridge Point. It was a matchup that um, you know they started off so hot, and then you know um, you know Ridge Point wins a really close second set, and then to talk to hear Plano West you know retell it, you know that's when like nerves started to kind of creep in, and just the true adversity of like okay our season is legitimately hanging in the balance when that comes into focus, and they just didn't respond well to it, and they lost three to one, and. It's fitting in the sense that, like, so that matchup against against Ridgepoint was on uh, November 16th, 2018. It was exactly one year later than that they beat Klein in the regional finals at... Um yeah, just last weekend mm -hmm. to punch their ticket back to state for the second straight season. And wouldn't you know, they draw Ridgepoint once again in the semis on Friday. So it's they've come full circle in a way. And this is now, uh, I guess, again, they've the, the method, uh, you know, the, the the talk has been all season that they've had their focus on the playoffs, like to the point where, you know, and they'll be upfront about it, like they overlooked yeah. parts of the regular season and it led to some inconsistencies, some up and downs. They had the puzzling loss to Prosper that they avenged later on. And, you know, um, but nevertheless, though, it was always under the uh, the guys that when the playoffs started that their level of play would fall in line and you've seen that you know they've dropped uh, they dropped the third set to Klein in the regional final that's the only set they've dropped in the playoffs they've swept everybody else including the Woodlands yeah. in the regional semis who was a team that beat them earlier on in a tournament in Allen back in August and um, they get a chance to validate it all in just a uh, you know on Friday you know they get a, they get Ridgepoint a Ridgepoint team that uh you know is got a lot of a lot of similar pieces from last year they did however graduate their top hitter Skylar Fields who's now playing for Texas starting for Texas at that so wow. quality player and she was kind of the star of that match last year she had 19 kills and whatnot but they've still got a strong block with uh, with Claire Jeter who had over 10 blocks in the meeting with West last year um, let's see uh, Reagan Rutherford their star uh, their star so very versatile player and whatnot but they've um they've, they've still got some weapons still got some experience but losing that top hitter is going to definitely uh, make West recalibrate his defensive approach and West on, they're just uh, they've grown a bit from last year too. You know, they feel like they've really harnessed kind of the mental, the mental uh, strain that they felt last year's uh, semifinal kind of put on them. And then um, you know the offense has evolved with you know you still have Jill Presley and Aman Jai doing their thing, but you have Noel Piatas who transferred from Prestonwood um, after winning a state championship over there at the private school level, and she's added a completely new dimension to that uh, to that offense. You know the um, you know they've got Lindsey Zhang and Morgan Carter who have helped you know fill that defensive role that Haley Hong held down so well last season. It's um it's a team that's um you know a bit better uh just a bit better overall from last season. So we'll see what it means if it's enough to get that uh, get that revenge against Ridgepoint and then even if you win that one then you got to turn right around and potentially play a team like Byron Nelson who's ranked number 1 in the nation by <laughs> USA today who I saw you know just last week and they beat uh when they beat Flower Mound mm -hmm. in the uh in the regional quarterfinals the uh, the reigning state champion Flower Mound got knocked out in four sets by Byron Nelson. So if Planet West is going to get its first ever state championship, it is, um, it's going to be tough. You know, they've got a, a very, very stout field in the, uh, in the 6A Final Four. I believe Plano West 
has the uh, they have five losses on the season. I believe the record was 39 and five. There are five losses. That's the most of the of the four semifinalists in Class 6A. Just an absolutely loaded field. Um, so yeah, that is uh, that is one half of the uh, of the uh, of our state coverage. That game is going to be Friday, seven o'clock, at the Caldwell Center. Earlier in the afternoon, though, is when Lovejoy takes aim at it's a uh, it's a, a potential run of another state championship. They're bound for state for the tenth time in the last twelve years. What a run. And that's like with a jump up in the classifications. They started off as a 3A school mm-hmm. and then they made the jump up and they've it hasn't they have not missed a step. Just plug it in and keep on going. And it's like looking at this particular team, like they graduated nine seniors from last year's team. So there was kind of a sense of like, okay, well what do we really have this year? You know, they didn't exactly enter the year with like, okay, we you know, it's a it's state championship or bust, even though that's a program that kind of carries itself with that level of expectation. This team was taking the approach of, you know what, we just want to be the best version of ourselves that we can be. And we'll see what that means. And well, it means number one ranking in the state. The entire season. <laughs> yeah. It means 46 wins. I think it was what their fifth consecutive 40 win season. And um, again, Frisco Liberty, you game a match that you were at. I mean, they uh, they gave them all they could handle. And then uh, you know, talking to the players yesterday, it's like that performance there and being able to pull that one out. That's when they begin to really feel like, okay, we might be able to get this done again. Um, what were your impressions just getting a look at Love during that uh, that effort against Liberty and Jenna Wenis? They have no weakness they they're yeah. just all around you know loaded they have the size at the net they have uh Callie Kamoa her defense is phenomenal yeah. uh, the libero I believe is what she for sure yeah um and then and Allen transfer Cecily yeah. Brian Schreiber hope I'm saying that Bram right Schreiber you know headed to TCU she's not very tall she's, mm-hmm. you know you think of most dominant outside hitters like a Jenna Winnis six foot and up six two yeah. You know, Bram Schreiber's got to be 5'9", tops, mm-hmm. and she could just soar over the net. You know, uh, every, I saw her play against Centennial in the first round. I saw her play against Liberty in the mm-hmm. third round. Both games, she had over 20 kills. She had 25 kills against Liberty. And she's, in, with my, in my opinion, just seeing a small sample size in the playoffs, she's mm-hmm. their best player. Yeah. Um, no, and all their best players are really juniors. Yeah. So it's like th- they should be back to do this all again next year. And they just, like I said, they don't have a weakness. They're a machine. Um, when they need a point from Bram Schreiber, they get it. When they need a point from someone else, they get it. And they have so many players that are so multifaceted and that do the same thing. They don't have one player that's just a good outside hitter or one player that's just good at defense. They, they Everyone on that team is really, really good at so many different yeah. things. And they're just so sound. Uh, the volleyball does not touch the floor very often when that ball when the ball sails on over the net on their side of the on the court, uh, and they're just they're just so sound, they're so well coached, um, and man, they've swept everyone except for Liberty in the playoffs. And Liberty, man, the fact that Lovejoy was able to come back in that fifth set after losing the fourth set the way they did, 36-34, which was one of the craziest sets I've ever seen um, in my short time of, of, of watching and covering volleyball. It, it was amazing that they were able to come back and do that because Liberty took a 4-1 lead in that fifth set, and then they came right back and went on a 9-0 run in the, mm-hmm. in the fifth set. Who does that against a team yeah. like Liberty? You just put up some real off nine straight points and just flip a switch. It, it was it was really special to see. It's just it's that mindset that that program has that just yeah. you don't find elsewhere because even though a lot of these kids are seeing their first extensive time in that varsity lineup, I mean a lot of them were on the team last year, but most of them were either role players or came off or you know just rode the bench and whatnot. But you have seen so many of them like, and that's what kind of made this season so much of an unknown because they're not a senior heavy team like you mentioned. They've only got four seniors on the entire roster. It's mostly those juniors and whatnot is what they 
country uh, where a lot of the leadership has come from this season. Um, so a lot of those players, though, they just, again, it's just that you plug them in and you don't miss a step. And it just comes with players that have, even before they even suited up for the varsity, uh, you know, for the varsity team, you kind of grew up, though. You, when they were younger, it was back when Lovejoy was raking off, you know, five consecutive state titles. So you mm-hmm. kind of grew up, you know, just well aware of that standard and what it means to play for that program. So it's almost like this winning begets winning mindset. And that when you get there, it's just you have this expectation. You know what to, you know, how to take care of business at this juncture of the season. And you've seen that. And you saw it firsthand with that kind of resilience and that mental fortitude just because not every team is built to overcome yeah. a 34-32 loss in the fourth set of a match, of a playoff match. When you met with the when you met with them, do they bring up the Liberty game, and do they bring up that fifth set or that fourth or fifth? Set? They talked about it in the sense that that was um, that was the match that really kind of like once they beat Liberty, like that, you know. Because I was asking, okay, so where did you where did y'all kind of I guess see this team begin to, you know, when when did winning a state championship become like kind of okay? We feel like we might be able to get this done this year. And they talked about you know on the one hand they were really strong over the back half of district play in 10 5 a. That's mm-hmm. when their level of play went up, and they were just not only sweeping everyone but just blowing them out. And then when they pulled out that tough one against Liberty because that was the first time you know in a while that they had really been pushed I mean you look at the matches that they've lost four of their five losses are to either Plano West or Byron Nelson who are competing in the 6A semifinals over there um, so to, so with the uh, the pressure those were back in August oh yeah, so, yeah. yeah so the pressure that Liberty was able to put on them I mean they just hadn't felt anything like that really and to pull that out though um, it speaks a lot to first off what Liberty had and what Jenna Wenis and that crew had cooking that season I've been telling you I mean, yeah, yeah absolutely Absolutely, absolutely. And now, um, you know, we'll see again if they've, you know, they still have two wins, you know, left, uh, you know, left on the table to get it done. And it's, you know, uh, they're catching a Friendswood team that's coming in really hot. You look at that record, and it might not jump out at you. You know, they have, uh, you know, it's like thirty-five and seventeen, something to that tune. But a lot of those losses came really early in the season when they were um, a little banged up. And they've, um, they come in having won. I want to say it was eighteen of their past nineteen matches. They, um, they actually, uh, a lot of their success coincides with. Um, they had a uh, an acquisition uh, mid-season. They had a player move in from Italy, who is um you know who's just been uh, who's become their top hitter, and um, definitely uh, she's a lefty. So that just it's a different uh, schematic wrinkle to prepare for. Uh, Coach Mitchell was saying that they uh, he's never seen a team that runs as much of its offense through their middles as as his Friendswood team does. It's um it's just it's a different challenge altogether for Lovejoy. So we'll see what it means on uh, on Friday. That match was going to be at one o'clock out at the Caldwell Center. Um, the winner of that match could get I believe. It's um it's Alamo Heights and Canyon Randall over in the other half, and I think Canyon Randall might be ranked number two in the state behind Lovejoy according to the TGCA. And I want to say it was kind of it was along those same lines last season, um, and like that's what kind of the uh, the matchup was. Uh, okay, well let's see if we can finally get that long-awaited Lovejoy Randall match at the state tournament, and you know it didn't happen and whatnot. But uh, we'll see. Yeah, I mean we'll, it's like Lovejoy's. <laughs> you don't think of it as a uh, you know if you go five years between state championships like that doesn't sound like a big deal for any program but for Lovejoy a program that really like their volleyball t- program in general is so young the school only opened back in 2006 and they won five consecutive state titles from 08 to 2012 so in their second ever playoff appearances is when they started winning state championships so to then um, you know now to be at a point where their last state title was in 2014 so only in Lovejoy terms is this considered a championship drought, yeah. but um, yeah, and they'll uh, you know they'll try to uh, they'll try to halt that uh, halt that dry spell on uh, Friday and uh, potentially Saturday out of the uh, the Caldwell Center in Garland. 
So that's where I'll be. Yeah, I'll be covering both those matches on Friday. And then um, if either of those two advance to Saturday's state finals, I'll be out there as well. So uh, I'll be following along on Twitter. I'll be following along to see all the uh, all the fun times out at Arlington between Allen and Rockwall. But um, yes, unfortunately, I will not be covering that matchup. I'll be on volleyball duty on Friday. So um, yeah, that's a look at what we've got cooking, though, for our coverage slates. And yeah, that'll do it for this episode of the Star Local Media High School Sports Podcast. Um, folks, you enjoy the rest of your week, and we will talk to you all later. Looking to hire top talent in your community? Look no further than StarLocalJobs.com. Our platform is specifically designed to connect local employers with qualified candidates in their area. With StarLocalJobs.com, you can easily post job listings tailored to your specific needs and requirements. Our platform is user-friendly and offers a wide range of options to help you find the perfect candidate for your open position. Plus, our job matching algorithm ensures that your listing is shown to the most relevant job seekers in your area. But that's not all, StarLocalJobs.com also offers a variety of resources to help you throughout the hiring process. From candidate screening to interview tips, our team of experts is dedicated to helping you find the right fit for your company. So why wait? Join the thousands of satisfied employers who have found their ideal candidate through StarLocalJobs.com. Post your job listing today and start building your dream team.